Last week on Fill in the Blanks. The only difference between a con man and a cult leader is that the con man runs the con and then skips town with the money. But the cult leader keeps running the same con and the same people indefinitely. It's very sad because many of the victims are very kind and good people, uh, very sensitive, idealistic, and they're being lied to, deceived, and preyed upon by these leaders. Welcome back to part two of Danger and Warning Signs of Cults. Well, my son Jay and I went into the Warren Jeffs compound up on the Utah border. You know, the sheriff was a member. The mayor was a member. It was interesting. When we pulled into town, we would go down Main Street, and there were vehicles flanking us on one block on either side of us. As we went down the main street, they were paralleling us on both sides. When we set up on the end of one street, they would come by in their pickups with their loud pipes and rev them up to try to disrupt the chute where you couldn't record. The mics would be blocked out by the loud pipes. And a lot of the houses were just kind of cookie cutter And then right in the middle of it is the Warren Jeffs compound with 10-foot walls around it. And, I mean, it's nothing short of a mansion. I mean, it's like the house of God over here. I'm standing outside the towns of Hildale and Colorado City. These places do not welcome outsiders. They're controversial towns filled with a lot of unanswered questions. The one man capable of making the biggest difference to this troubled town is the state's top law enforcement official, Utah Attorney General Mark Shurtleff. What do you consider the crimes that are being committed? Child sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, forcing young girls to marry. Those girls are being pulled out of school in the sixth grade, denied the chance to work, treated as nothing but property, and their purpose in life is to make babies and to please their man. That's America? Before I arrived, Mark Shurtleff warned me about the darker side of this secretive community. Unmarked church security trucks patrolling the streets, alarming stories of unwanted visitors being escorted at gunpoint out of town. Even the Attorney General never sets foot here unarmed and without a bodyguard. So when I entered the city limits, I brought several camera crews and a convoy of my own armed security just in case. County investigator Gary Engels has the lonely job of uncovering criminal activity. Is it hard to investigate crimes in this community? Very hard. Why? The types of uh, retribution that they receive if they do talk. Number one, their family's taken away from them. Two, their houses are taken away from them. Three, their jobs are taken away from them. And four, and to a lot of these people, most important, their salvation is taken away from them. But who takes it away? Warren Jeffs does. There are vehicles that uh, that travel around here that are totally unmarked, that uh, have something to do with church security. This is uh, Warren Jeffs compound right in front of us. We've picked up one already. So this is a security guy that's yeah. picking us up here? He did a U-turn when he yeah. saw us come by. Yep. He's following us now? We'll see what he does. As we stopped on the side of the road, the pickup made another U-turn. And it's because we're around Warren Jeff's compound? Yep. They tried to throw rocks on us. He's saying something. They do not want us here. No, they don't. The impression that you get from visiting this polygamous community is that the laws of the land don't necessarily apply to them. It's interesting that the leader has a standard of living so high above everyone else, 
but yet that's a positive. They don't look at it and say, well, what the hell? I'm living over here in this shack and the leader's living in this mansion. But they look at that as an affirmation that he or she is, in fact, the deity. They're the one that's raised up. They don't resent it. They look at it as an affirmation that that is, in fact, makes them special. Well, the followers of Warren Jets, the FLDS in Colorado City, Arizona, and Hilldale, Utah, I mean, you talk about all of them looking the same. When you were there, I'm sure you noticed those prairie dresses. And oh, they, yeah. They, they have designated colors. All the women cannot cut their hair. They, if they're married, they have it up. If they're not married, it's down. Uh, they cannot wear or appear in any way inconsistent with what Warren Jeffs dictated. Uh, in fact, he would say, you can never wear red. And ironically, when he was arrested by, by, by law enforcement, he was driving a new red Escalade. Uh, right. but, but he who, he was a man who raped children. He raped children. And that is the reason that he is now in prison in Texas. And he, I, I don't think he'll ever get out. What's interesting is he's running that that group, which still has thousands of members that obey his every word. Uh, he's running it from prison. He has visitors that come to the prison and they convey what his wishes are to the group. Uh, in one edict, he decided which men could uh, perpetuate their their, themselves through their seed. And he, he restricted which men could have sex uh, and which men could not have sex and must be celibate because their seed did not meet with his approval. I mean, this was a, a very evil group uh, that, ex that has existed on the border of Arizona and Utah for about 100 years. Yeah, and I've interviewed some of those young girls and what went on was absolutely horrific. And Horrible. it was interesting when some of the boys got up to puberty and you know, into their even mid-teens, they called them the lost boys, right. they would drive them out of the community. Sometimes they would take them out into the desert and the prairie and just dump them. I was 14 years old when I left Colorado City. I left Colorado City when I was 18. The lost boys are boys and young men who were expelled under the direction of Warren Jeffs. I have approximately 30 brothers and sisters. My dad had two wives. I had three brothers and three sisters. Not a big family at all. I know of no other society in America in which there's more of a Taliban-like atmosphere. I would get in serious trouble for watching movies, listening to music, playing video games. He ruled out basketball because basketball involves pride. You cannot have pride. If we were even caught looking at girls, let alone talking to them, we would be severely punished. We were supposed to have full body underwear from the bottom of our ankles to our wrists. These children are abused. They are kept out of school. They are worked on difficult construction jobs, hard labor. I was working eight to 10 hours a day when I was 12 years old, hanging drywall. I started working with my brothers when I was eight or nine. If people disagree with the church, they're kicked out. When I turned 18 years old, I fell in love and I kissed that person. I got kicked out for it. That was the end. I was living in a camper, going day to day. I didn't know what I was going to be eating for dinner. All of this because I kissed somebody. Me and my brother ran away. We only took the clothes on our back when we left. I didn't care what happened next. I was just happy I was out.
My family doesn't treat me like a brother anymore. My parents don't want me to associate with my smaller brothers and sisters. For fear, I will talk them into leaving. Many of those boys would end up having problems with substance abuse and, and some would commit suicide. In fact, Warren Jeffs, uh, one of his children committed suicide, a son. And so they're, they're, that, that, uh, that is one of the most heinous groups I, I think that anyone has dealt with. And yet when those children were re rescued in Texas at what was called the Yearning for Zion Ranch, that huge compound with the temple where he raped children, uh, and they took 400 children out of that compound, but they didn't know what to do with them because mm -hmm. these children had no life outside of the cult. They had no family, no friends, their whole world was in the cult. And eventually a judge ordered that they would have to be returned to their families because no one knew what to really do with them. And and I think that is the struggle that many cult members have that I've, I've talked to, uh, people that were raised in cults, uh, generational cults, where they, they, from their earliest childhood, thought this was the way the world was, this was normal. And what we think is, as crazy, they saw as normal, and what we think as normal, they thought was crazy. And so when they left the, their respective groups and tried to make a life for themselves, it can be very, very difficult. And for many of these young people that exit. It can be very traumatizing for them. I was in Texas, in the town, when they got all of the 400 children out of there. And of course, it overwhelmed the family court system and the social services. They didn't know where to put the children. And the children had been indoctrinated to be so afraid of the outside world that they were petrified. They were traumatized by being taken out but yet they were being traumatized if they were in. And so it was between a rock and a hard place. And I guess it's the First Amendment that protects these people being able to say whatever they want to say and people having the right to choose if they want to go in and participate in this, even though it really isn't free will. I liken it to the statutory rape laws because there's a point in there where people really don't have capacity to give informed consent. Why did you just leave me there? I felt like I was manipulated into his power. And then he told me, Carmen, I am not saying that this is gonna happen. And therefore thinking in retrospect, there again is his deception for loyalty. What I remember from the meeting is Victor saying he may or may not have sex with me. And no, even if you did disagree with him, you didn't do your job as a father. You abandoned me, you left me there for all those years. You saw me humiliated and kicked out of meetings in front of the whole church. I don't understand why you keep saying you didn't know what happened and, and the way your family has treated me has been so awful. People telling me I need to stop playing the victim and become a survivor, and I know I still have a lot to grow, but I am a survivor. I had asked you years ago for forgiveness, and you told me that you don't know if you could forgive me. And But you still don't own this till today, though, do you? I, I listened to everything that you've said, and you said, look, people don't get it. If you haven't been under mind control, if you haven't had somebody isolate you and take control of your mind and, and, and tell you that you have to do this or you're not being faithful to God, then you can't understand this. 
Let me tell you, I understand mind control. I get what you're saying. And you cannot abdicate your role as a father. And, and you cannot tell me that you became so blind that you let someone distort the scripture so badly that it made sense to you to turn your 13-year-old child over to this, this creep? The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. They have been brainwashed. They have been so controlled that they don't have capacity to really make an anchored, logical rational decision because they've had reality distorted for them to the point that they're dealing with such a distorted filter that they can't make an informed rational decision. But yet that's that's very difficult to prove because they'll fight to the death that they're there of their own free will and it's where they want to be because that's what they've been indoctrinated to do and that's when the love bombing starts all over again. If they start getting challenged, subpoenas, family members come, then all of a sudden they get all loved up again. Well, I think the First Amendment is not a suicide pact. So people are free to believe whatever they want, but they may not do whatever they wish in the name of those beliefs. Uh, this group, the FLDS that we've been talking about, they existed for 100 years. Ruland Jeffs, Warren Jeffs' father, was a very authoritarian leader, and I would say he was a cult leader in my opinion. But he did not go to the extremes that Warren Jeffs did. He did not rape children the way that Warren Jeffs did. And so eventually Warren Jeffs' behavior caught up with him. And many of these cult leaders will say, as soon as the authorities investigate them, you are persecuting me. And I don't think it's persecution to hold them accountable, accountable for their behavior. And I think that these children and these young people who are in these groups and they're raised in these groups from their earliest uh, memory, uh, they don't know that anything else really exists. And they are uh, they're indoctrinated to have unreasonable fears, as you pointed out, about the outside world. For example, they're told that if they go against the leader, they're going against God because whatever the leader says is what God says, and therefore you are rejecting God if you reject the leader. And they also uh, basically uh, will will feel that if they they go their own way, that in eternal judgment, and this is a, a polygamous teaching of, of the FLDS, they will be uh, suspended in darkness alone for eternity. Now, imagine how chilling that is to a child growing up and accepting that and believing that. And so these these young people, they feel they have no alternative except to obey the leader. And a lot of times we look at them, we don't understand what they're thinking, what they're going through, how they've been indoctrinated. And, and I think the abuse that went on in many of these polygamous groups for for decades was just a horrific thing. Yeah, it seems to me that one of the best red flags we can throw up for people is 
what you said about if you're there even the first night, if you can't ask questions, if you can't challenge the authoritarianism of the leadership without being criticized and ostracized, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. Because if you say, hey, listen, I got a question here. I read something on the internet that says A, B, C, and D. What do y'all say about that? And if they start yelling persecution and contamination and toxic and blah, 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 if they can't have a discussion about that and you don't have the right to question why are we doing this, that, or the other, then you're in the wrong place and you need to get the hell out right now. It's the totalitarianism. It's the group think one way that should be a red flag if you're in an organization that doesn't allow for individuality or questions. That should be a big red flag. Well, and the group should be tolerant of questions because if it's a good organization and the overwhelming majority of of, of uh, churches and places of worship in the United States are very positive. Uh, they should be open to scrutiny. They should be transparent. They should be willing to answer questions, which typically is is the posture of, of leaders of churches and places of worship uh, across the U.S. And the other thing I would say is there should be a legitimate reason to leave. If I come to a leader and I say, look, I've got a new job in a new place, and I'm going to leave this church or this organization or, or club or whatever, and I'm going to relocate. Uh, I won't be able to come here anymore. And the group and the leader are telling me that that would be a terrible thing and that there's no legitimate reason to leave. That's a big red flag. And if, if everyone who has ever left is characterized in a derogatory, demeaning way, and, and and again, what they're saying is there's no legitimate reason to leave. And there's this we-they dichotomy where the group thinks we alone have the answers. No one else does. I mean, and, and just to, to, to focus that more finely, it would be like, uh, let's say that you have a preacher of a particular church. It could be Baptist. It could be Methodist. It could be uh, Presbyterian. He or she would acknowledge that other Christian churches have salvation. And so what you see in a destructive church, if, if you're in one, that that specific leader is saying that only my organization and those that are led by me as their shepherd, as their spiritual covering, will have salvation. And when a group has that narrow of a message, that can be seen as a control mechanism rather than than a church mission. Yeah, us versus them. You talk about 10 warning signs. One is extreme obsessiveness regarding the leader. Individual identity is increasingly blurred. You're criticized if any questions are put out there. Everything is to clone the leader, and the dependency on the leader for problem-solving is a big one. That you become dependent on the group leader for whatever. Financial problems, talk to the leader. Marital problems, talk to the leader. Sex problems, talk to the leader. Medical problems, talk to the leader. Everything, go talk to the leader. It's all got to run through the leader. That is the all-knowing, all-being individual 
that has to approve and be involved in everything. Big red flag right there. And, and what we're talking about is no boundaries. And what people have to ask themselves if they're in a, a group and they're thinking, is this a destructive cult? Is this a destructive authoritarian group? Ask yourself this. Where are the boundaries? What part of my life is my life? Where the leader or the leader's designated coaches or, or trainers cannot intrude. For example, in Nexium, this group led by Keith Ranieri, there was there was nothing that that wasn't up for scrutiny. And and he would put people through cathartic confessions in which they would open up and tell him everything or one of his people everything. And this was called EMs or exploration of meaning in which anything in their life could be scrutinized and they could withhold nothing. And so in the end, the group knew all their secrets, all their vulnerabilities, and Ranieri would drill down and use that for leverage every time he dealt with a member that was giving him a problem. He knew everything about them. And, and this is how many groups are. They have no boundaries. And if you're in a group and you feel like you have no space and you're being suffocated and there's no area of your life that is just for you, there may be a serious problem. Yeah. Narcissism is a real big common denominator among these cult leaders, right? Oh, very much. I think they're, they typically are, are people that would fit an NPD, narcissistic uh, personality disorder profile. I mean, they, they, they love themselves. You know, they're, they're obsessed with their, their image and, and they... They basically lack empathy. They lack sympathy for other people. Uh, in my experience, most of them uh, exhibit what could be called sociopathic tendencies. Or they might be categorized in, as a sociopath, as a psychopath. For example, Charles Manson. Uh, these are people that they just don't feel like other people feel. In their world, what's good for them is good. And what's bad for them is bad, and right and wrong are the same. It's it's basically, it's it's wrong if I don't get what I want. It's right if I do get what I want. And we saw that in Amy. You know, when oh, we yeah. when we she everything that she believed, everything she preached to her people, empowered her and gave her dominance over them. There was nothing that she was teaching. That showed that she was vulnerable, that she made mistakes, uh, that people had any freedom of choice. It was like, Amy, 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 I am Mother God, and if you disagree with me, you are against God. And every claim that she would make about herself empowered her and, and made her uh, a controlling factor in every of her followers' lives. Yeah, and it's interesting how they expect people to believe things so unchallenged. For example, she did hundreds of psychic brain surgeries a day. I think I did the math where it's like she would have to be doing you know, one every three minutes or something. And I don't care how good you are. That's pretty fast to be doing brain surgery to do the numbers she was talking about. But you're just expected to believe that. You're not expected to do the math. And when... You talk about locking a child in a dark room because they don't follow your directions. 
and that that's child abuse is like, you know, she was dumbstruck. Nobody's questioned her like that before. No. I need your help explaining something for me because your mother right. said that you were never really maternal. And I'm really curious why you locked a child in the closet. Take a look at this. Three. You want me to get to three? I'll put you in time now. I don't have a problem about that. Okay, time out. You got the timer? Two minutes? Yeah, I got it. Are you ready? Come on. Stop Come now. here, Ondon. Thank you, buddy. Good Thank job. Thank you. Come here. Go to mother. Come here. Oh, you want to do the one? You want to do it over again? Oh, back up. Two more? Yep. Oh, time out. Yep. You're not listening. I've got something to say to that. What do people they listen. I'm sorry. I, I need you to help me with that. Explain that to me. I will help you with that. What was happening in, in that group dynamic is that the ch these children came to see me and they're in their environment, they were very dysfunctional. They hadn't been disciplined. And I feel that's, you know, the majority of humanity has had, hasn't had discipline and children have to have boundaries. So what was happening is that they didn't have any boundaries. We started coming up with ideas of how to assist them um, one of my ideas was, you know, just whatever their age is, just two minutes of timeout. And if they can't, you know, get it, then they go back in timeout. I mean, screaming behavior is, you know, why are they screaming? Why are they out of control? And I was assisting in that situation with the mother and the father. Well, that's that's just. That, that's flat out abuse to lock a child in a closet like that. And what really bothers me is not the poor judgment that I see on your part, but the fact that I'm looking at five or six or seven adults in the room and not one person in the room has the backbone to stand up and say, this is not okay. You're not going to bully and abuse this child and traumatize them by putting them in a closet uh, with a closed door like this. What we were doing, what we were doing, is experimenting. On and they a child. weren't locked. They weren't locked in a closet. They were put in timeout, Doctor Phil. In a closet. Timeout. Hmm. In a closet. Yeah. With a closed door. Well, they were in dark, so that <laughs> that they could focus and center on themselves. And we put an adult there with them. There was an adult in the closet. Of course. I don't believe that. No, she she was dumbstruck. She she couldn't understand anyone questioning her, and I remember she claimed to be reincarnated uh, multiple times. And you were asking her, "Well, how does that work out? Uh, it, given the continuum of history, was is there is there really enough time for you to have lived all these lives?" And of course, she was uh, what the re she was at one time Jesus. Uh, when it, it met many famous people. I, I've never once heard one of these leaders say, you know, 
I am uh, I am the reincarnation of, uh, of of Jack Schmidlap. He was a janitor yeah. at the high school downtown in Sheboygan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she actually hung on the cross. She actually hung on the cross. Uh, yeah. She she is all all encompassing and yeah. uh, one stop shopping for her followers who can find in her, according to her, everything. Yeah, like you say, never worked at the Exxon down on Third Street. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I never, I've never heard any of these uh, these cult leaders uh, claim that they lived an ordinary life in one of their previous lives. It, it's always meant to magnify their greatness and prove how how omnipotent they are and how you should subordinate yourself to them because they have such great wisdom and knowledge. Well, let me ask you this. Which particular groups in the country right now would you warn people about that they might not think of as a cult or that you would really be concerned about as a cult that people might not label that way? Well, let me just say there are groups that are controversial that may not fit the the, the cult profile, which I would define as a group with an absolute authoritarian leader that that leader becomes an object of worship. The group is using identifiable thought reform and influence techniques to gain undue influence, and then finally using that influence to do harm to people. And that would be the nucleus for a definition of a destructive cult, as I write in my book. And and I would say that there are groups like um, Scientology that has been called a cult, and many people... Uh, Big celebrities are involved in it. Uh, there's a group called the Kabbalah Center that is a, a splinter group from Judaism that claims to have the answers uh, as known through the, the mystical writings of the Kabbalah, the Zohar. And uh, this is a group that Madonna belongs to, and a number of celebrities have, have taken courses and classes. They, they have an outreach in Los Angeles. They're mainly in New York now. Uh, and then there's a group in particular that frightens me quite a bit. It's called Israelites United in Christ. Uh, this is the flip side of white supremacy. Uh, this is a group that identifies African Americans as the chosen people of God as Israel. And uh, they have very uh, racist attitudes about uh, anyone outside of their group which uh, would not be African-Americans, uh, people of color. Uh, they would say white people are evil. They call them the Edomites. This is a group led by a former policeman in New York, Nathaniel Ray, and it's spreading across the entire United States. Uh, they have groups, uh, little branches called camps, where they have officers all under the control of Nathaniel Ray, who lives in Newburgh, New York. And then there's a group that came from South Korea that's spreading like wildfire across the United States. It's called the World Mission Society Church of God. And I'll shock you, they believe their leader is Mother God, and she lives in Seoul. And this is a group that is recruiting on college campuses. Uh, they also target uh, Costco, malls, anywhere where there's a lot of traffic. And uh, they also have a presence online. Uh, this is a group that I get a lot of complaints about. Uh, and, and then there's, there's, there's groups that are just online, like uh, that are small groups. Uh, there's one group uh, that, that's called Carbon Nation, 
that again is a, a kind of flip side of white supremacy. They follow a guy uh, by the name of Nature Boy. You can find him online. And he would recruit people online and then get them to come to a compound at one point in Costa Rica. Eventually, he was deported from Central America. Uh, last, he was uh, known to be in uh, Atlanta and then in Hawaii. But he's an example of someone who's recruiting online through social media, has a relatively small group, but very controlling. You mentioned the World Mission Society Church of God. Do they have camps? Is it residential? Are they just trying to get people's money? How do they function? What's their MO? Well, they recruit people, and then if that person's family or spouse is critical of the group, they will isolate them from their family or their spouse. There have been divorces, family estrangements. Then once you become part of the group, your your primary uh, goal in life is to recruit from for the group and to support the group. So there's a lot of very heavy financial pressure to give money to the organization, which is very rich, and to constantly work for the group. And the group has a peculiar comp- composite of beliefs. Uh, they believe in celebrating Passover and, and celebrating Jewish holidays from the Old Testament. But at the same time, they believe that God is female and that their leader, Mother God in soul, is God manifested on earth. They believe that no other organization can offer salvation, that there is no way to really hear from God unless you are in their organization. So they create in their members a deep fear of leaving because they feel they will lose their salvation if they leave that particular organization and are no longer under the protection of that leader. Well, I'm looking at their website right now, and I'm telling you, it looks like a warm corporate. I mean, everybody's in suits and ties or matching T-shirts with bright colors and big smiles on their faces, and they're all cheering, and everything is happy and bright colors, and it just looks like one big happy family. I haven't seen so many teeth since a cross-cut saw. Everybody's (laughs) smiling, grinning, happy, and the message is everybody's accepted, everybody belongs. It's just all peachy keen. Well, I've had complaints from families that are estranged from loved ones in that group. And uh, when I say estranged, I mean, they're not coming to visit with the family on holidays. They don't visit the family at all for years. They don't attend weddings, funerals of, of family. Uh, and and in in some cases, it it, will, it is families that have never even raised a critical question about the group. That's just how controlling the group can be and how isolated the members can be. And uh, they started in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and then they began to plant new churches all over the country and in Canada. They have many thousands of members now, and they've only been here for, what, maybe a little over a decade or so. And I became aware of them when they first planted a church in New Jersey, and a mother called me who was dying from cancer, And she said her son would spend little time with her. He was totally involved in World Mission Society, Church of God. 
and that she wanted to spend more time with him before she died. Uh, she thought about doing an intervention, but felt like she was so close to the end that she would not risk losing whatever precious time she had with her son. And I've had uh, wives call me and say they are estranged from their husbands because of the group, uh, just on and on complaints about this group. And I've done uh, interventions to get people out of the group, uh, two or three successful, one or two not successful. Uh, you know, an intervention will be staged by a family when they want to rescue someone that is in a destructive cult. And it's basically like a drug or alcohol intervention, an effort to talk to the person and persuade them to reconsider their involvement and listen to the family's concerns. Yeah. Well, boy, when I look at it, they all look the same. They all got on the same suit. They all got the same haircut. They're all sitting exactly the same. And I'm just thinking, I haven't seen a thousand people that happy all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this must be Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and many of these people are sleep deprived because uh, I work with one uh, young man who had been recruited on a college campus. And really, for the first 10 or 15 hours, all he did was sleep. And then eventually, he kind of caught up with his sleep. And I think what people don't realize in some of these groups where they only get four or five hours of sleep a night, that they begin to run down. And it weakens their, their ability to critically think and analyze what's going on. And the group uses this as a tool uh, to break people down and manipulate and change them. Amy, do you use sleep deprivation and mental manipulation as, uh, as is being said here? Absolutely, that is incorrect. Do I have boundaries for energetic? And both team can adhere to them or not. There's no, like, you have to do that. Let's see what Amy thinks about this footage. Sonny, are you going to wake up and serve God or are you going to go to sleep? Uh, yes. Yes what? God. Really? Mm -hmm. When? When you choose? Today, as soon as I'm Sometime up. today? As soon as I'm up, yes. Okay. Well, when are you going to get up? Because everyone's up. We never went to sleep. Why are you sleeping? You had your hour and then we got you up. Like a new day, this went back to sleep. <laughs> oh, wait till mama hears what happened here. <laughs> Certainly I've had complaints about that from this particular group, World Mission Society, Church of God, and also an older Korean group, South Korean group, known as the Unification Church, the followers of Reverend Sung Mung Moon, uh, that were once called the Moonies. Reverend right. Moon has died, but he still has followers all over the United States and around the world. And now the family, his children, control the church and his financial empire, which was built from the hard work and contributions of the members. It is now a financial empire exceeding $1 billion. Wow. Uh, Scientology's book value is reportedly over $3 billion, and it's been said that they have over a billion dollars in cash alone. So I think when people look at these groups, you should realize uh, a lot of the old groups that you remember are still around. They're just richer and more powerful. And many groups 
are, are becoming very wealthy and that this is a growth industry, frequently tax exempt. And it's a moneymaker. I'm sorry to say it's a money-making business plan. It is. And I guarantee you, this conversation that we're having today, if people will listen to it and do some critical thinking, and they walk into one of these recruitment sessions, and they just hear our voice in their heads, maybe it will cause them to think, hey, I need to step back from this and I need to ask a question, and if that doesn't set well with the people, then I need to put these people in my rearview mirror. If they can just hear this conversation in their head, man, it can save people years of misery, save their life savings, save disrupting their family relationships that are so important to them, and save them becoming a slave to some egomaniacal narcissist that's going to bleed them dry of everything that they have, all of their life energy, all of their joy and happiness in the service of their narcissistic personality disorder. If they can just hear us in their heads, it can save them just by being critical thinkers. And you're exactly right. If there was one thing that I could control to drive someone insane or to stop their critical thinking and control their mind, it would be sleep deprivation. That'd be the number one thing. If it wasn't going to give me any drugs, get them drunk or do anything substance wise, it would be sleep deprivation because boy, that neocortex starts to get numb and you get to where you just can't reason very well. And that's the first thing that happens in these organizations. They keep them up and keep them up and keep them up. And then they just start pounding them and pounding them and pounding them and pounding them until they finally succumb. And if they just hear us in their heads, maybe we'll save some people from getting caught up in this mess. And I hope that if there are people that are listening, that they were at one time in a destructive authoritarian group and they left and they blame themselves, and they beat up on themselves that they'll listen to what you're saying, what I'm saying, and do some reading, and understand that it's not their fault, that they are not junk, that they are not a terrible person for leaving that group, and that if they can contextualize their experience and and rewind it and realize that they did the right thing by leaving, and maybe understand the tricks that trapped them in that group for so long and the tools of the trade of these cult leaders, I think that's very freeing and liberating. And many people will read uh, my book or other books and they'll understand, gee, you know, I was right to leave that group. The group told me I would lose my soul. I would be destroyed. I would be murdered. I would go insane, but I didn't. And now I don't need to feel bad about what I did anymore. I can understand that they preyed upon me and that they were in the wrong. I was not in the wrong for leaving. I think there are a lot of people out there that are hurting that have left authoritarian groups that need to understand that message. Well, I'm glad you said that because, look, this is a billion-dollar industry, and these people have honed their skills. These con men... And I think sometimes these things become buzzwords to the point that they lose their meaning. Con is short for confidence. These are confidence men. 
they play a confidence game where they gain your confidence and get you to believe in something that you want to believe. And then you become victims of abuse. I want people to understand that you have been exploited and you have been a victim. You're not at fault for this. It's just like getting mugged on a street. You know, I've had money embezzled from me. I've been robbed. And we all feel violated when something like that happens. And it's natural to feel violated. But that doesn't mean that you're damaged goods. It means that someone sick took advantage of you. And here's the thing. You're still here. You survived. You came through this. And you have to forgive yourself. And you have to forgive them. They're sick. I mean, they'll deal with God in their own time. That's somebody else's job. You got to forgive yourself and for whatever you think you may have failed to do or something that you may have done in the service of this distorted reality and realize you survived. You're out. You're here now. The past is over. The future hasn't happened yet. The only time is right now. And you have a choice. And if you feel like you have suffered, and you have PTSD or depression or whatever, get help. You are worth that help. I can't tell you how much it will help you to read cults inside out and understand the mechanisms of this. Rick's book is written with compassion and understanding, and everything you've written really talks not only about how these people do what they do, but also the aftermath and what people need to expect as they re-enter and what families need to expect and how they need to be patient. And I can't tell you how much your teachings and your writings can help families and survivors of these cults reacclimate themselves to society and get through this. I highly recommend that you seek out Rick Ross and his writings if you've been through something like this or you have a family member that has been or is in because you have to cope with this while they're there as well. Rick talks very specifically about that and about what you have to do and how it's important that you not blame yourself for this as well. So Rick, you're doing a great service with what you're doing and it's making a huge difference. You've touched so many lives just on Dr. Phil coming on our platform and talking about it here, not to mention the dozens of other places that you've been and talked about it. So God bless you for what you're doing, my friend. Well, thank you. And I, and I hope families will, will look, that are listening realize how important it is to keep that line of communication going. Even if your family member is involved in a destructive cult, don't, don't, be confrontational. Don't write them off. Don't cut them off because that line of communication is essential for them to get the help they need at some point in the future uh, that, that they need to know that you are there for them, that you're their safety net. So that's why it's so important to keep the line of communication open with loved ones that are in these groups. And I've had some of them tell me that they never heard from their family member while they were in there because everything was filtered or returned. And when they got out and the family had copies of letters that they had written that the individual never saw, 
and they saw my family never gave up on me. My mom wrote me a letter every week, and she has a copy of every letter here. I value myself because I can see that she never gave up on me. And that was really the springboard back into realizing that that person had worth. So don't give up on your loved one. And if you go and stand at that gate every Saturday for two years, you don't know. They might be looking at you from the loft in the barn. And it may not make a difference that day that you're there, but the day that you're not will make a difference. Your presence, you may feel like it will make a difference, but the day you're not there, your absence could speak volumes. Let them see you there. Let them know. It may be that one day that you're there that gives them the strength to walk out that gate. So don't give up. Absolutely. And and they, that they have that feeling that I haven't burned all my bridges even though the group will constantly try to convince them that there is no one that cares about them outside of the group. They need to know that the family does care about them and that they have that safety net that still exists for them. And I think many families don't realize that. But having said that, it's so painful for families to be rebuffed, to, to, to send letters and have no response. But the families need to understand that this is not about your loved one. This is about the control that is being exerted over them and the undue influence of the leader and the group that they're in. Yeah. When I interviewed Elizabeth Knight that was abducted up in Cleveland, her abductor told those three girls in the beginning, nobody's looking for you. You've been forgotten. Nobody cares. He'd find a newscast that they weren't in and say, look, they're not talking about you. They're covering these cats in dresses over here. They don't care about you. They're covering these stupid things at the bake-off here. Nobody's looking for you. They'll never find you. I own you for the rest of your lives. And Elizabeth told me that was the worst thing that she could hear. She thought she was gone. She was dead to the world and nobody was looking. And when she got out and found out that that was not the truth, that he was only showing them the news that they weren't in, said it made all the difference in the world. So just understand they need to know that you never gave up on them. So, well, Rick, I've kept you long enough. You've been very generous with your time. I cannot thank you enough. And I want everybody to go to YouTube, look up Rick Ross. You'll find clips from the Today Show, CNN, World News, Dateline, Nightline, 48 Hours, Oprah, Extra, Inside Edition, Dr. Phil. You'll find all kinds of things everywhere. And the best ones, of course, are Dr. Phil, but you can look at some of the others since you're there. And you've got to pick up his most recent book, Cults Inside Out. And there's some great and such insightful breakdown of the Jonestown Massacre, among other things that happened there. And you'll be seeing Rick. I hope he'll continue to come when we get into another cult drama on Dr. Phil and try to educate the populace about this. But Rick, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, same here. And I'm sure we'll be digging into something before too very long. There's always something to dig into. Yeah, sadly, there is, but we'll never give up the fight, you and I. No, no, sir. 
All right. Take care, my friend. So long. All right. All the best. Okay. You too. You too.